I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. So Mohammed Fakih's story starts when he walks into a restaurant looking to buy some baklava, but what he got was a struggling restaurant owner begging him for help. Years earlier, he had immigrated to Canada with next to nothing. So when this nearly bankrupt shawarma restaurant owner begged him, he couldn't say no. He has since grown the struggling restaurant into an 80 restaurant franchise globally with close to $100 million in sales this year. So you can imagine this is a big business. He is consistently listed as one of the most influential people in the country, but he is motivated by a strong sense of justice and fairness and is always finding ways to give back. His story is one of my absolute favorites. So take a listen. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Mohammed Fakih. Mohammed is a very successful business person, community leader, and philanthropist. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you. So we met, was it a year ago now we first met? Yes, approximately. Yeah. And so for those who don't know you, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What's your mission? My name is Mohammed Fakih, as you probably will have a title under my name. I'm the founder <laughs> and CEO of Paramount Fine Foods. I'm an immigrant. I came here in 1999. Mm-hmm. And by mistake, I bought a first restaurant. The intention was to help someone that they had a problem. They were struggling financially in their own business. And it turned for me to end up buying the business from him because he wanted to go back to Dubai. Mm-hmm. And from there, I didn't know how to fry an egg at the time. I'm a gemologist. So I studied geology in Italy. And I studied in Vicenza to become a gemologist, expert of diamond with a right to certify diamond and and gems. And I'm selling shawarma today. And (laughs) probably a million shawarma a month from a gemologist to a shawarma guy. That's crazy. So how did you have the funds to be able to buy the first restaurant? Well, I didn't buy the first restaurant because I landed the guy money. So the story was that I walked in one day to buy baklava. And he had seen my picture that I helped someone to build a house. And I got some media coverage and he had seen my picture in that media coverage and he asked me for a loan thinking I had a lot of money. I didn't. I had some money that I put together enough to help him out. And the day he asked me for that money, I said, I handed him my card. You know, one of those things you hand your card and you're hoping that he will not or she will not use it because it was thrown at me going in to buy $20 baklava and Someone's asking me for a loan that I've never done business with them. So, And I left, but while I'm driving home, it just hit me. And I said, oh, that was exactly my story where I came here. I needed the help. I needed the help from every single Canadian. And at the time, a smile from a Canadian made me feel included and welcome. 
<laughs> and I felt like that's my story, this person and this entrepreneur that came here and is struggling and maybe it's my time and my turn to help him. Until that day, I never thought that I would ever own a restaurant or even by helping him, I never thought I'll own a restaurant because I thought I'm simply helping someone who has the passion and believe in the business. But unfortunately, three days after, the family was great. The person, that person is a great person. Three days after, he got a call that his account was frozen by Revenue Canada. He had not paid his taxes properly, and apparently he wasn't opening his bills to see the letters and the notices. So they froze his account, and he told me to come in fast because he didn't want to lose my money. So I walked in fast and I came in fast and I saw some chefs were crying, were devastated because their visa was on that business and they would have been deported if the business would shut down. And that's the moment where I realized that when I walked in, I didn't walk in just to buy a kilo of baklava like I did intended to do. It was meant to be for something else. And that was to have more and deeper involvement in that business. So I walked in and he said, look, you can sell the equipment, get your money. You were a great guy to me, but there's nothing I can do. And I want to go. I said, don't go anywhere. <laughs> don't go anywhere. I simply want to try to make this work because of these chefs. And if you all together come with me to help me to understand how to make it happen, we can give it a try and make it break even. I don't need the profit, but let's try to keep it afloat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we all knew that we could take a chance and lose and there was risk. But really, they didn't have any other option. The owner at the time of the place said, I'm still going to leave. I'll teach you a little bit what to do. And he did. He was very honorable. And he went to Dubai. So I was left with the team. And the team felt part of the whole creation of Paramount. And a lot of them is still with us today. And from one location in 2007, today over 70 locations worldwide. We have wow. seven countries where we operate and open. Over 2,000 employees and 150 Syrian refugees, part of the staff and the team and the executive. Wow. That's wild. Yeah, it's a bit what crazy was... to walk in Kilo Baklava and end up selling shawarma for life. <laughs> what did you do differently that, you know, took it from a business that was going under to a huge franchise? Well, not a franchise, uh, a know, enterprise. <laughs> well, quite honestly, people, like especially the old school of business, they see walls, they don't see people. Mm-hmm. And I think people work for people. And yes. people come to invest in businesses. Look, businesses that cares about people either your own team or the people around you, which is your community. And when I say your community, I'm talking the broader Canadian community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just leave their business and they don't think there is a chance without realizing that there is amazing people that could turn it around. And all what I did is truly, I invested in the people and the people by giving them the right tools to succeed. These are the same chefs that they were there before I walked in. But now they started performing differently and they needed a little bit of knowledge of the numbers because Middle Eastern food, when we got involved, was moms and pops, shawarma places, no decor, no systems. And I take a pride that I was part of that, like a contributor on changing the way Middle Eastern food looked like and looked at by Canadians. And even as Middle Eastern, I I had difficulty finding 
a Middle Eastern restaurant with decor, with system, with the cleanliness to go to eat at. And today, if you look around the city, there is a lot of them. So Paramount had, I'm not saying only Paramount did, but had helped and was a big contributor to like raise, uh, rise at least the standard. And for people, if they want to compete, they had to match. And now we have a great Middle Eastern restaurant and great following. But on top of that, it was something very important. I always wanted to change the way the whole world, the way they looked at Middle Eastern people, culture, and the media wasn't helping at the time because, you know, the Muslim community, the Middle Eastern community was under attack all the time in the media and it was a lot of negativity. And I knew that Canadians are very welcoming, amazing people. I love this country, really. I love its people. And they're very welcoming. They only needed to find out and to be presented in a different way to our culture through the food. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to show the culture, the Middle Eastern culture, and the hospitality in a different way. And show the way that immigrant in general, newcomer in general, are a positive contributor to our country. And they could open businesses. And I always said, if Tim Horton can do it, why can't I? <laughs> and, and, and quite honestly, I still believe it. And we're on our way to hit 100 units soon, over $100 million sales. So I wanted to send a message that helping newcomers, helping immigrants, even refugees, is a good thing for us. It's not only something to feel good about, it's even the profitable thing to do. Because people like myself, people like you, we've invested in ourselves first, then in our team, and in our country, and now we employ people, we pay taxes, and we set a great standard and a great lesson to the rest of Canadians in general, mm-hmm. or future entrepreneur, that everything is possible in Canada, right? And what's easier to do with but food? Because, you know, every single culture and every single religion has something special about breaking a bread together and sharing a meal together. Yes, they do. That's so true. But you didn't have a background in business, did you? Well, I did. I mean, I'm Lebanese originally, but a very proud Canadian as well. But Lebanese, they're all known for being good entrepreneurs. Hmm. Uh, my dad was a businessman. Mm-hmm. And but when I came here, I came with nothing. But in my life in Italy, I had a lot of mentors. And I always say to the young people, and even to business leaders, one of the things that's a must to do, if you want to become a business leader, you need to find a mentor. And for the people who had succeeded, I always tell them, you need to share your stories and your experiences for others to really learn from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because that's a, I feel it's a responsibility. It's a duty. And the gratification that we get is seeing those people succeed. It doesn't have to be always money. But for the younger people finding mentors, it'll get them to do things in a better way, bolder way, because now they're supported by an opinion of someone who paved their, their path already and they showed success. And so I had mentors that when I was in the diamond business, when I was in the jewelry business, I had a mentor, his name Ernesto Franchini in Italy. He used to be very harsh on me, pushing me around to do things better. And usually you don't love your mentor all the time. Sometimes you hate them too, (laughs) and you feel upset with them because they're pushing you to a new limit. But that's what I call in business a growing pain. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when those mentors don't tell you what you only want to hear, mostly when, what you really need to hear, usually we don't like it and we push back and that's healthy. Mm-hmm. But it's very important to have mentors and those mentors had prepared me for a business opportunity. And even before Paramount, I had worked for free at a jewelry store. Then I worked as a paying a job in another jewelry store. And then I had an opportunity to get a sweat equity in a third jewelry store. So I was in business already, but it was all at a smaller scale mm-hmm. in preparation of what we all call my life opportunity, apparently. <laughs> and a lot of people, and I'm sure you hear that too, Emily. You're, oh, a lot of people say, oh, Emily, you're lucky. You know, you're blessed, you're lucky. Yes, mm-hmm. we're blessed. But it's not luck. It's a lot of hard work. Yes. And I say always to everyone, we all get presented with opportunities in our life. So it's not I'm lucky or you're lucky, but the difference between the people that are courageous enough to take on those opportunities. Not a lot of people are courageous enough to do that. And even before taking them on, not a lot of people actually acknowledge that when something presented to them is an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So first you need to recognize that this is an opportunity and then be courageous to take it on. So I I feel people who say success is luck are people who did not want to take a chance and Mm risk. And we both know, Amelie, I've had nights where I slept and thinking that this is my last day in business, yes. <laughs> right? We're, we're a store that <laughs> didn't do well and or two stores start not doing as good as I wanted them in the beginning and I didn't have the cash focus to carry myself. But the positivity, the grit, the, you know, wanting to get there, succeed and deliver that message that I always believed in, which is I call always the noble mission. Every company should have a noble mission written. Mm-hmm. And that noble mission that everybody buys into it and make sure we roll together at the same speed, at the same time, at the same direction so we can get to that noble mission. That what used to get me up and say, no, you can't give up now. There is a lot of families attached to the business and you can lose your dream. And so uh, to you younger people who, are, who could be possibly listening to this, you're going to be tripping several times for sure. And the tripping, again, is another growing pain. And it's not going to be easy, but that's the exciting part. And the, by definition, the, the definition of an entrepreneur is taking risk, taking a chance and go through those stages of hiccups. Because mm-hmm. they're going to happen. It's just a matter of how you're going to get up from them. When they do. What has been some of the toughest things that you've had to go through in your journey? Well, I mean, in the beginning, it was all about understanding this Middle Eastern food and the numbers behind it. And nobody Mm -hmm. has done it and scaled it. I mean, it's not a burger chain. It's not a pizza chain. And no one has scaled it before me. And (laughs) especially for someone that never thought about being in the food business. Yes. It's pretty, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. Like, like several times I used to say, why am I here? (laughs) But again, the noble mission used to tell me why I was there. I was there because I really want that to send the message of, you know, serving good food with open arms. And, you know, honestly, Paramount has been always the reason why I was able to finance my real noble mission, which is helping the community and sending a love message to a country that gave me the biggest opportunity of my life and made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. So Paramount was almost like 
why I was able to actually get to what I want and what I wanted is say a big thank you to a country that gave me a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. Is that what the company's mission is to help the community? Well, it's part of our DNA, definitely. And it wasn't part of the DNA after we became a bigger company. It has been always, at all time, part of the DNA. And I truly believe, and I've been, <laughs> around a couple of weeks ago, we had a meeting with all our franchisees, and I was very proud and with the biggest smile. I'm smiling. Listen, I work for 20 hours a day and nothing hurts except my jaw. I'm smiling all day long because <laughs> there's really, I'm very happy. I'm very proud of what we're doing as a team at Paramount. But the most important part I was talking about in that meeting is what we started 10 years ago. Now books are written talking about how having a purpose in a company is the profitable thing to do is not only a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we believed in that 10 years ago. <laughs> and we did that 10 years ago. So I used to prefer, instead of putting our name on a bus in Toronto, yes. I used to put it on helping a shelter for homeless. And sometimes my franchisee used to push back and say, well, why aren't we more on shelters and more on radios? And, and I used to say that our impact will last longer. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And yeah, and a year, a couple of years ago, the bottom line of a company, Emily, has changed. It used to be profit. And now it has changed to four P's. Number one is planet. If your company does not look after and mindful of the planet, people will not support it. And even talent will not want to work, would, would not want to work for you. Mm-hmm. The second P is people. If your company does not care about the people that works in the company, and the people that help the company and the people that do business with the company, people do not want to really support your company. Mm-hmm. The third P is purpose. And if your company has a purposeful mission and purpose is part of your DNA, customers want to come more often to your company mm-hmm. and people want to work in your company and be beside you and have a seat on that table that's doing something beyond money. People do not work for companies only for salary. If you find them a better reason when they go back home in the evening and they have a better conversation and things to be honored to talk about how the company where they work at helped refugees or helped a church or, or helped homeless or part of United Way initiative or sick hospital, then your team taking home and going home and taking home a message that could affect and impact their children's thinking and they have another reason to be proud of to be part of your company and part of your i would say paramount is not a company it's a movement mm-hmm. more it's a movement than it's just a company and a restaurant and honestly so many times especially when we did the homeless we put the homeless in a hotel in 2017 in december i don't know Emily, if you remember that I one i do yes and, yeah, really, and really one of the executives of Thanks. Yeah, it was cold, people dying in the street, and the city had all the shelters filled, so they couldn't do much. So we decided to put them in hotels. And that was in New Year Eve where people were asking $575 per room. Wow. And still didn't want to accept the, the homeless in the hotel rooms because they wow. were worried about their hotels, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the executives that works at Tim Horton called me and said, my mom heard that I was looking to, for a change. And she said, you should call the owner of Paramount 
I'll be very proud of you if you are part of a company that would do what Paramount did for the homeless. Uh, and we actually yeah. end up hiring him and he's still with us. So having a company with purpose will not only bring you money in the top line of the company, but customers will visit you more often to support your mm-hmm. mission and what you do for the community mm-hmm. will bring you talent. And today all companies have a problem with finding good talent. Mm-hmm. And is there a fourth P? And the profit. And the profit. <laughs> yes. So for you to have a bigger profit, you need to look after the people, the planet, and have purpose. Mm-hmm. And I'm, one time I was on, on a panel discussion and I was a couple president of food and beverage companies. And the moderator said, are you telling me that because Paramount is involved in the community, I will come to eat at Paramount more often? I said, I truly believe it. I've seen a lot of customers told me that. Mm-hmm. He said, well, you're absolutely right, Mohammed. We used to come to Paramount once a month. When I saw you doing what you do, we said, let's make it part of our weekly orders. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's actually proven it's the profitable thing to do. It's not the, like, not only the right thing to do, it's the profitable thing. Mm-hmm. And it also, too, yeah, it'll be a part of your legacy. You know, it'll live on past you because these are the things that really matter and will be remembered. And I always talk about legacy. So thank you for saying that. People say, are you going to become a politician one day? Why do you do this? And it's legacy. It's definitely a legacy. Like the legacy, it's very important to understand what people will say about you. And it's not because what they say about you. Because we do what we do all along in all our lives to make our parents proud and our children looking up to us. And the legacy, what you leave behind is, are people going to say, yeah, filthy rich. And he used to give very little and never cared about the neighbors and be a good neighbor. I always tell people we need to be a good neighbor. Or they can say, well, it wasn't important how much money they made. It was very important what to do with that money and how many lives they impacted. Yes. I always say if you really want to know what people will say about you when you go, write your eulogy. Oh, my gosh. And And ask someone else to write it about you. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't match, it change your life. Because people need to actually say about you what you are comfortable and satisfied that what your legacy needs to be. And if you write your eulogy and somebody else writes it different than you did, <laughs> or say about you different than what, <laughs> that means you need to change your life. And I know too, like, uh, you're very involved with refugees. You know, with yeah, I've been a refugee. I've been a refugee myself uh, during my lifetime in the war of Lebanon. We had to leave our house several times to go to different cities to hide from the war. Wow! And so I've been a refugee and I've been an immigrant. <laughs> so of course I'm going to be involved in the refugee. And a very one thing that I always say to a lot of people: never forget where you came from. Mm-hmm. A lot of people when they see success in life, they actually want to forget where they came from. They want to forget those days where they were struggling and they want to forget their friends that they were at the time, very very good friend and close to them. And I say to everyone, I am who I am today because of my past and my present and what I'm looking forward for my future. And do not forget your past because like a lot of people, giving you an example, easy example is their name is Mohammed and then their name tag is Mo and Mike and Funny yes. other names that I, I, I won't know that they're the same person. But 
you know, you need to not like, and I always say, make sure you don't lose yourself. Like when you get to success, ask yourself, what did you lose on the way? Mm-hmm. And make sure you didn't lose yourself and never forget where you came from. So I'm a refugee myself. And of course, I'm committed to help Canadians from all backgrounds because Canadian helped me. But of course, I'm committed to help refugees because they left their home due to persecution and they've done nothing themselves wrong for them to deserve this. Mm-hmm. And all what they need is to, they don't need us to give them money. They don't need a handout. They need a hand up. They need a job. They need a, an opportunity to restore their dignity. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to be those people that will stand by people when there is a problem. Hey, you say it's the right thing to do, but there's so many people that don't. You know, they're, they're too focused on business. So, Or they actually make up excuses to say it's more hassle than it's worth. Mm-hmm. But the refugee issues aren't going to go away in the world. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm the ambassador of United Nations for Human Rights and Refugee, UNHCR. Mm-hmm. And there is 70 million displaced human beings. And That's citizenships, wild. yeah, citizenships and religion and color of skin aren't meant to be to divide us because we're united by being a human, all of us, a human. And we shouldn't let anything else divide us. And there's 70 million humans displaced, forcibly displaced around the world, right? And this problem is not going to go away unless we face it. But then on the other side, we need talent. We need people. Canada needs people. We can't afford even our senior programs in 30, 40 years. I'm not suggesting to bring every refugee, any refugee, but we need people. Mm-hmm. And those people need help. So why don't we put them together? <laughs> And yeah, give them it seems logical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's normal, right? <laughs> like you, you need you need five thousand employees, and there is five thousand people need your help. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when we hired one hundred fifty Syrian refugees at Paramount, number one, these people are very skilled. Two, imagine the grit and the persistence these people have. They walked hundreds and hundreds of kilometers through militias, bullets and everything because they just want a safe place where they can build a better family. Mm-hmm. So making a shawarma wrap or managing a location is easy for them. They have taken bigger risks than opening even a business. So these people came and joined our team and were very honored and proud to have them on our team. And they showed us a lot of skills, a lot of ethics. They showed us truly that they will do above and beyond what's asked of them and they're very appreciative. And all what they wanted is an opportunity. <laughs> and when you give them that opportunity, they're very loyal. They're more loyal than a lot of our staff from other parts that they have a better life, they have other options. So when you give them that opportunity, and especially the first opportunity, you're actually changing a life, changing it for the better. Yes. And our team, and our team at Paramount, they were so excited and so touched by helping these people, helping their families, taking them to, to, to teach them how to get their driving license. It's definitely created more purpose within even our existing team, our executive team, our staff, even that were training them at a the restaurant level. They felt that they're doing something just bigger than just the training them, right? You're changing a life. You're part of something bigger than yourself. And it's always have a lot of unexpected rewards when you do something bigger than just what you're doing. 
mm-hmm. and we are changing a life for the better and you're showing an act of kindness, but it's not a charity. It's the profitable thing to do to help the newcomers and refugees because they'll become loyal to your company. And again, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago, uh, how can we use the newcomer for widening options of Canada's trade business instead of only doing a trade with the United States? And everyone agreed that using the newcomers and putting them in a better and better positions in every company and in some companies that are interested in trading with other countries in the world, it's a way of opening up because why do we do business with the United States? Because we resemble to the United States, not lately with the politics for sure, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but we resemble to the way we live our life. We're very close for years and everything. So the only way we can do business with Dubai is we have people from that region working in decision-making roles and they know the culture, they know the people, they know the way they prefer to do business and they'll make the interaction and resembling and and the synergy easier because we both understand each other's culture. And so helping newcomers, refugees, and people that they're really hungry. I always say, people say, how did you succeed? I was hungry and I'm still hungry. I'm hungry for an opportunity. I'm hard, hungry to show that we can make it happen. Mm-hmm. And if someone is hungry and it's always want to make it better in a positive way, it doesn't have to be a negative way. I think there is no way but to succeed when you have that grit and that excitement and the loyalty. And I think what one of the things that made me successful, if I'm called successful yet, I want to do much more. But <laughs> I do, is the appreciation and wanting to give back and feeling like I'm not giving enough yet. Oh, wow. Because I would like to do more. Mm-hmm. I think that's with a lot of entrepreneurs. They never feel like they've done enough or like they want to go. And I think that's probably a good key to the success as well. You know, always wanting more and further and faster and harder. And- yeah. Yeah. And listen, it's easy. And you know that, Emily. I could have made money and go sit on a boat and travel the world. And that's okay. And I do that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but people don't understand that being successful and enjoying your life and helping others are not at odds together. <laughs> you could do both. <laughs> and actually, you enjoy what you do more when you feel like you're doing something good for someone's life and impacting other people. Mm-hmm. That's true. I saw last last week, was it? Again, that Toronto Life named you one of the most influential people in the city. Yeah, I don't know why. It's the shawarma, I guess. <laughs> they just really love shawarma. Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. That amazing team, uh, Toronto Life, has been a great support for when everyone does something good and impressive. And, you know, honestly, great team there. And I thank them. This is not the first time they do it. And I always say we become what we celebrate. Mm-hmm. And when we celebrate success, when we celebrate that oneness and the coming together so we can win together, hopefully people will, even, even if they're jealous that, hey, Mohammed got on the Toronto Life 50 most influential because he helped that restaurant Sufi or because he did this to the homeless. Hopefully they'll do it, even if it's for the wrong reason. Yes. But they're still going to impact someone's exactly. life. Exactly. I love that. When, when people get upset about, you know, well, they benefited from that or they told about that good stuff they did. It's like, yeah, but they're still doing good. So yeah. at least, like, what's <laughs> the bottom line is they're doing good. Yeah. One time when I helped the Quebec mosque shooting, someone <laughs> emailed me and said, well, 
a great marketing. And I said to him, yeah, great marketing. Why don't you do the same? A pledge $100,000 for the same cause or another cause, and we will all tweet about you. How is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's not what people say. And I always put aside what people say, negative, Mm -hmm. especially positive. I want to use it to encourage my team and the rest, hopefully, of the country to hear that positivity and wanting to be part of it. But negative, I filter through it and I stay focused into my destination. They'll always find a negative with everything. As long as you know, you know, you're doing positive. Even with that lawsuit you had earlier this year that you won with that gentleman who was posting those negative, awful videos about you, you know, but I love that you, you didn't let it go and you pursued it because it is an important lesson, you know, that this gentleman was posting racist, you know, just videos about you and putting down your company and you as a person and you didn't just let it slide and ignore it. You went ahead and you you sued him and you're very busy and you didn't need to do that. It wasn't affecting you, but you did it and you won. And I think that's a, an important message, you know. And then it's very important for Canadians to defend what mm-hmm. made Canada, what Canada is, and, mm-hmm. and the Canadian values, quite frankly. And the Canadian values is not to really target a specific group. And like this guy accused me of supporting Boko Haram in Africa. Like he has a geography problem. I'm from Lebanon. I don't know what <laughs> Boko Haram. And he chased me in the mall with my children. What? I was on a Saturday. Yes, he did. He chased me around in a mall and pointed like this. He, oh. he put five inches away from the oh. face of my five years old boy a phone and said, Mohammed, tell me why you like to kill his children. <gasps> and I couldn't. Yeah, and I couldn't touch him. His target was for me to make a mistake and do something about it because he was losing the lawsuit. So I had to really (laughs) say nothing. And it's so difficult to say nothing. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, in the end, I really wanted to send a great message that hate will never win in Canada. And I know and I trust Canadians so much. I know the numbers of haters is nothing. Close to a very small percentage. (laughs) And it's there is two things that they're very dangerous about this. Some of us think this is a lone wolf. He's doing it. It's an incident. It's not an incident. There is actually a party that represents these haters and the people that they're anti-immigrant, that they market anti-immigrant sentiment, right? And we saw on the election day, at least for one night, they lost, including their leader lost his own, basically, riding. And for one day, hate lost in Canada. And another day hate lost is when the Sufi restaurant reopened. And another day hate lost is when Kevin Johnson lost that two and a half million dollar lawsuit. The number of the people and of Canadians that are against hate is much bigger. But the problem is we remain silent and we shouldn't. Our silence make our number not count. Mm -hmm. And the only way to face hate is to stand up against it and speak out against it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, it's like you wink. You're telling the hater, continue doing what you're doing and say what you're saying because we're not going to do anything about it as Canadians. Mm-hmm. And the two and a half million dollars was a proof that no, I'm not going to let it go. Even it's going to cost me half a million dollars. Even I'm going to have to fight it for two years. And my family went through hell fighting it, right? Mm-hmm. But we should not allow hate to win in Canada. And when the Sufi happened, the same thing. 
I heard about it on the news like everyone else. I didn't know that family. I didn't know that. What happened with them exactly? The Sufi restaurant shut down due to hated threats. And that's a threat to the family. Because they were immigrants? Well, there is two stories. They were immigrants. Their son was involved in anti some protests. And to actually respond to his involvement in the protest, they came and they started putting death threat because they were Syrian uh... refugees. So the family decided, like every a lot of newcomers and immigrants don't want to fight. Mm-hmm. Don't wanna, don't, they don't want to stand up because they feel like they're going to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And they're appreciative to the situation that they were accepted here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they went to the emotional decision of, you know, business is not important. The safety of the family is more. So let's shut down the business. So I heard about it in the news. And like everyone else, never met the family, didn't know that print existed. And that's on me. I should have known. <laughs> and I heard about it. So we tweeted asking if anyone has their number. Because I went through hate. And I know how difficult it is to be yeah. alone on it. And I didn't want them to feel alone. And to make it even like what made me really jump and say, I'm not going to let it happen, is I saw a New York Times article saying businesses in Toronto shutting down due to hate. But that's not the reputation that Canada should have around the world. (laughs) And we should not be allowing something like this to happen. So I found the owners. I called them. I drove down and I said, you're not shutting down this business. He said, no, we decided we're shutting it down. I said, well, look, even if I have to buy it, I'm not going to let you shut it down. <laughs> These people cannot win against us. Hate should not win in Canada. No. And if today you let them win, tomorrow another business and another business and another business will shut down. Mm-hmm. And then he felt like, okay, this guy's crazy. He's going to buy me out. <laughs> and it's funny, like, you left the store. Why are you worried if I buy you out or not? But I don't want to buy you out. I want to help you to stand up. And he said, well, you know, I don't want to put my life at risk. I'm psychologically drained, like, oh. very tired. I said, why don't you leave you and your wife? Go somewhere else to relax. Me and my team will manage. Wow. And when you come back, the money is yours. The store is yours. The profit is yours. And I'll pay for my own staff. Wow. To protect your business. And we did. <laughs> and until last Saturday, I went there and it's still a lineup. Canadian support has been overwhelming. Torontonian has stood up for this family. It's, they stood beside them, helped them, and now they didn't lose their business. Wow. So, you know, and again, one more time, hate didn't win in Canada. And we should continue doing this to send that message and to push those haters back to those shadows, dark corners of the internet where they belong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Or ideally change them. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm always happy to invite them for a meal at Paramount and break the bread together. <laughs> Have a nice shawarma. I would love to break the bread with them and show them that we are a human like everyone else and the religion and color of his skin should not be dividing us. It should bring that special, you know, I always say that spark. When Apple was created and did the whole business, one of the best experiences and, and stories of business is Apple is a guy from Syria and a guy from the United States. And together, two people diverse from two different religions created that spark. And if we use that example and we understand that our religion and our color and the ethnicity where we came from, those imaginary borders between countries, should not stop a human 
for realizing that we're all a human and we all can do things amazing together when we come with different experiences. I think it's a strength because we've got such different backgrounds and we can contribute such different things and, you know, bring so many things from the table. I love to have a diverse team that's different from me because they think different from me. They've had different experiences than me and they'll see things in a way that I never thought of looking at it. Well, imagine, imagine if me and 2,000 of my employees come from the same background, same religion, same everything. Yeah. And after two months, we were bored of the same stories because we all heard them from our parents <laughs> and from our... Like, what are we going to talk about, right? Yeah. <laughs> In Paramount head office, I have people that they come from all backgrounds. I'm, I'm the only Mohammed in my head office. And we have people from all ethnicities and we celebrate everyone's celebration. And we actually have no... We can't wait to celebrate each other's you know, Ramadan and the Christmas together and even the, the Jewish holidays together, you know, it's exciting and it is a strength because I'll tell a story about what my dad and I did and the story that another person and their father or their mom did is different. And from that idea, we bring another ideas for the restaurant that, that belongs and, and resonates with a community, part of the Canadian community. But, but we can't expect the whole world to be the same. And if we were, it would be boring. It would be boring. Mm-hmm. And Yes, it would be. Yes. And we do not want to really continue fighting what Martin Luther King fought for the exactly. black community. It's yeah. not fair. It's not fair. It's almost 2020. What are we doing here? I think <laughs> that we wouldn't be dealing with these things still. And I always see positivity. I always see positivity because it'll get us to know more each other. And I think if we win the Canadian fight against hate. If we win that fight, we will be, as Canadians, we'll be closer, all of us together. I think, yeah, Canada's probably a lot further along than the majority of the rest of the world, which is definitely a positive. And I think we have an opportunity in Canada to continue that leadership, mm-hmm. continue the leadership to lead the rest of the world and showcase an example. Like Mississauga, over 50% of Mississauga, they've been here for less than 10 years ago. And wow. I hope, I, hope, I know that. Yeah, so I, yeah, no, it's true. And I hope, you know, we see more people that govern us and lead us, that they're a reflection of the rest of the Canadian population. So the streets and the tables where people are leading and governing looks alike, mm-hmm. including male and, male and female and mm-hmm. different ethnicities, the same. So now $100 million in, in a year in revenue is quite a milestone. You know, what would be your top tips for success? I actually think, I've said it almost in my previous answer, I mean, it's a milestone and everything, but it shouldn't be dollar. <laughs> the milestone should be how integrated with your consumer and your, with your em- employees are you. <laughs> and eventually the money will come. If you have a product that it's wanted and you're presenting it from people that believe in your noble mission and you're all ready to work hard for that noble mission because you believe in it, it's one word. Company culture is what brings company profitability. Hmm. If you have the right culture towards your customers, towards your product, towards your employees, and towards your community, there is no way it's not going to go anywhere unless you didn't give them the right tools for them to succeed, which is your team. And I have to admit, I'm not the smartest guy in my company. A lot of my executive team are smarter than I am and deeper with their knowledge into the food business than I am for sure. I mean, for a gemologist to own a food company, <laughs> that's not immediately. 
knowing what you don't know is one of the secrets of success in life. Mm-hmm. And admitting what you don't know and getting people, either consultants or employees, <laughs> that they can complete and bring in that knowledge that you're missing is very important to your success. But what's most important is to listen to them because a lot of people hire people just to hire people. And then they'll tell them what to do when you initially hired them because you didn't know. <laughs> and you hired them to bring that knowledge. So don't tell them what to do. So yes. give them that. <laughs> give them the freedom and give them that, you know, free their hand to do it and to make it happen. And, you know, a lot of people think that ideas are a great idea. And that's where the problem starts. When you wake up in the morning and you look at the mirror and say, I have a great idea. <laughs> well, no, you need, <laughs> you, need, you need to validate those ideas. You need to bring people who, who had that experience to make it happen for you. How do you cultivate your culture? It's, you lead by example. You lead by example. And basically, you make sure, number one, is communicated. A lot of people, when they say culture, they put it on paper, but they don't execute it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of CEOs or business owners, they actually don't communicate properly the culture. Because once you decide your culture, everything else and every decision has to be around that culture and mm-hmm. within that Make culture, align. aligned with the culture. Absolutely. Because if it's not aligned, then you'll have people. And I, and I heard the CEO talking about, I'm very surprised that every time I put an idea for to execution, I find 50% of my staff are not 100% with me and the other 50, maybe 25% are only agreeing with me because I'm the CEO and then, well, that's exactly the culture that it's broken, right? And the only way, I like the IKEA example. It's a study in Harvard where the IKEA, where you go buy a table, you buy furniture and you put it together yourself. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I'm sure you bought stuff from IKEA, maybe not for your house. I mean, I know your taste, but uh, (laughs) but (laughs) I'm just using nothing, nothing against IKEA. I love IKEA furniture, but you know, the Harvard University said, because you put the table with your own hand, even if you put the screws wrong, and that would be me, I'm horrible with my hand, you actually love that table already, and you complain less about it, hmm. and you feel like it's your art Interesting. piece. <laughs> right? And if you make your team create the culture with you, mm-hmm. with your leadership, definitely, and the strategy with you, and your bin with you, the business model, because they did it with you, they buy in more into it and they want to make sure that it succeeds because they were part of the creation. And that was the Harvard study that because you're part of the creation of that table at Ikea, you complain less, you love it more, you protect it more and you take the pride of it more. Wow. Wow. I'm going to share that with my team. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's phenomenal. So now... Where can people learn more about you? They can buy shawarma. Come to Piamo and I'll be cleaning table and they'll, they'll learn more about me. Look, I'm around. Again, I never forgot where I came from. I speak very often. Happy to have people text me. On, I, I, I got texts on LinkedIn of people that they need mentorship. or And I'm not asking like I know, but I'm honest enough to say when I don't know. And you too, Emily, as a very successful female entrepreneur, me and you and people like us should be and making ourselves available for younger entrepreneurs and doesn't have to be younger. I love when I see someone that 
in their 50 or 55 and they want to get into the restaurant business. I love business. that too. Because I often hear like, yeah, I mean, I'm too old, it's too late. It's like, no. Yeah, my dad used always to say, I'm too old for this. I said, dad, you've been saying you're too old for 30 years now. <laughs> like, you're older while you're saying that. I mean, come on, you could have opened a new business. Look, I, I my mentor, one of my mentors is Hazel McCallion, the former yes. mayor of oh, Mississauga. She is a powerhouse. She's 99 years old next year. Wow. And we walked the we walked the parade three kilometer beside each other, the Canada Day parade in July. <laughs> three kilometer. And every time I offered her water, she said, Crazy kid, no, I'm not gonna drink water in front of people. I'm like, What? <laughs> three kilometer, I need water. How can you not need water? And I don't know if you heard she climbed the wall in the Saga to celebrate the ceremony of opening a climbing wall business. Oh so, you know, when I see yeah, so I'm less than I'm like in my 45, 47 now, and I don't want to give you my real age. I'm just kidding. I'm 47. <laughs> but if she's 99, that's like, do the math. That's 42 years older than I am. I could start the three businesses. If it's been 12 years, I opened seven year location. So people should not say I'm too old. People should not say it's too late. There is always an opportunity for everyone at, age, at every time of their life, at every stage of their life. Wow, yeah. You are such an inspiring entrepreneur and person and someone that and show my guy something that I've learned so much from and that other people can as well so thank you so much for chatting with me today no thank you very much for having me and I'm very proud of you and your team's success <laughs> thank you so much my friend and thank you for doing this because putting out and featuring successful stories inspires other people hopefully to succeed and I always say again mm -hmm. we become what we celebrate and in Toronto and Canada, we should celebrate our diversity and inclusion, and we should celebrate our success stories so our younger people and everyone looks up to that and do more. And mm -hmm. we feature them more, which is a great, that's what you're doing, and we all should thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs>